Mums Floss and this is my podcast, Exactly. Thank you so much for listening. If you're new here, Exactly Podcast is a permission slip to follow your curiosity. It's an invitation to ask all of the hard questions that you feel too shy, too embarrassed to ask. I'll be asking them myself. I'm learning myself along the way. I'm just so excited to have a space where I can say everything that I'm feeling and be heard with nuance and all the complexity that these subjects require. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to get into it today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So for today's episode of Exactly, I'm going to be talking all about integrity with the one and only Martha Beck, also known famously as Oprah's fucking life coach. I love what she has to say about integrity. It's something that I feel I've always held a value that I've always held really close to my chest. But at times... Uh, in the busyness of life and the busyness of work and relationships and friendships and dating, whatever it is, it can often be hard to remind ourselves of our values and what the things that are important to us and the things that keep us grounded and sane. And she speaks a lot in her work about uh, refusing to lie and not just lying to other people, but refusing to lie to ourselves about who we are and the things we desire. And sometimes our appetite for life is just too big for us to even imagine Uh, ever being possible and she talks about how if we want to build a life and a future for ourselves that is designed for our desires sometimes that means destroying parts of the world we have already built for ourselves but ultimately if you live in integrity absolutely everything you want can be yours I love what she has to say she's incredibly smart she's a Harvard trained sociologist she's a what like I said she's Oprah's she's known as Oprah's fucking life coach she's incredible she's a New York Times best-selling author she's published nine non-fiction books and written more than 200 magazine articles I can't wait to talk to Martha today. I have so many questions for her and how to know when to start something, when to stop something, whether it comes to relationships or work, when we're living in our integrity and what that looks and feels like. I've heard her describe it before uh, in the most beautiful way and I can't wait for her to expand on it more in today's episode. I hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. How are you? It's absolutely my pleasure. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. So before I go into the interview, I'm going to ask you my quick fire questions. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Okay. Question one. What's one thing that sets your soul on fire? Uh, In a good way or a bad way? Um, Rilke? I don't know. The poetry of Rilke, (laughs) that just popped out. Okay. Next question. What's the last photo you took? Just before this started, I brought up Photo Booth and took a picture so that I could see. (laughs) (laughs) Camera ready. Yeah, but, you know, you're a deconstructionist. And I was like, oh, why am I checking my appearance when I should just be showing up as I am? <laughs> no, I just, so, I, yeah, that was the last one I took, I admit it. I, I did my makeup before I came here. I'm, you know, s- same vibe. <laughs> Gotta pick your battles, you know? <laughs> okay, so next question. What's yeah. something that people frequently misunderstand or get wrong about you? Um, I live in a lesbian thruple. 
And people <laughs> think that that is like a, a continuous orgy. Okay. And I thought I thought that that was the assumption that people think you're in a lesbian frapple. I thought that's what you were going to say. So you are. No, no, a, I really am. You're in a. Le- <laughs> I was like, what's the assumption? Like that I'm in a lesbian frapple. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you join us, it would be a quadruple. No. <laughs> no. So you like. You admit you're in a lesbian throuple. People just uh, see images of things that probably are much more exciting than anything that's ever happened to me. Yes, I think it's also something about, and this is a quick round, but just to add to that, um, it's also something about being queer, isn't it? People constantly wonder how we have sex. And then it's almost like that's the the first image that it goes to every single time. Yeah, yeah. It's like somebody (laughs) saying, I'm engaged and saying, well, do you like being on top or on the bottom? Yes! Who cares? You yeah. wouldn't, you'd also just never ask a straight person that question. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> never. Never. Okay. Next question. Last question. Yeah. Uh, finish the sentence. I'm mm. still a work in progress when it comes to... I'm still a work in progress when it comes to absolutely everything. <laughs> okay. A lot of people say that. <laughs> I think everyone's a massive fucking work in progress. Absolutely. And if, if they claim they're not, that's where they need to be doing their work, right? You get a bit more self-reflection, maybe. Okay, so Martha, I actually first heard you on Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, uh-huh. and you were talking about integrity. Um, I love the story of your friendship and how you helped guide Glennon to a really big decision. And you helped her with some words where she was asking you uh, for some advice on a situation and you said, go towards what feels warm. Yeah, can you talk a bit about that and what that even means, go towards what feels warm when making a really tough decision? Right. So the first thing I do when I give people that particular advice is I say, think of a time when you know you were doing something that was right for your soul. Like something that looking back, you go, "Mm, that, that I was in pure bliss or the closest I've ever been to it. And then notice the feeling in your body. And for different people, it's different feelings. And for Glennon, it was warm. For some people, it's free or light or buzzy or whatever it is. Then I say, go to a time in your life when you knew you were doing something wrong for yourself and notice the feeling in your body there. And in Glennon's case, it was cold. In some cases, it's headache or tension or nausea. It's different for every person. Okay. The point is that there's a sensation that comes from your specific body that tells you whether you're going toward what's good for you or away from what's good for you. And you can get very granular with this. Like... I was trying to decide whether or not to wear my fuzzy dressing gown here to talk to you. <laughs> and I was like, That feels warm. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Then I had just a little frisson of fear. And so I left my fuzzy dressing gown and put on this. And then I thought, Oh, now I'm just going against everything floss stands for. Oh, no. So I got a little knotted up in my own, like, not as warm. But by telling you about it, I'm all the way back to warm. Okay. So just as I go through every day, what feels feels sweet? What feels free? What feels (laughs) open? And always just move toward that like you're playing a game of you're getting warmer, you're getting colder. Okay, okay. And how can that get lost then? How, how, how is it that in situations with relationships, with work, with wondering what to do next, yeah. um, how does it get lost? Because I feel it's almost as though we've associated the right decision with feeling mm-hmm. no discomfort at all. And that's not true, is it? Because no. discomfort, often, sometimes the right thing feels like shit. It's almost always the right thing feels like a bit of fear. Or all the way to shit. Yeah. The right thing is always going to expand your your realm of comfort. So you're going to be right at the edge of 
too uncomfortable to go forward. But here's the difference. Okay, so first things first, where do we pick up the the inclination to go away from what's right for us? Because every baby is born knowing how they feel and what they want. Before we can even talk, because we are social primates who depend on being cared for by others, we begin to observe and accommodate the preferences of the people around us. It happens at such an innocent baby level. By the time we are speaking our first words, we are already deeply socialized. And what that means is, you know, the the adults don't like it when I cry, so I won't cry when I want to cry. The adults like it when I laugh, so I'll pretend to laugh even if I don't feel that way. So, and then we start learning language and it just piles on and piles on. And before we know it, we're being taught to tolerate situations of incredible injustice and discomfort as you write about, you know? Yeah. Because the body is less corruptible than the sort of socialized mind. The language, language is a social tool above everything. It is our primary social tool. Okay. Okay. So you're saying that sometimes we lie about how we're actually feeling and how our body knows that we feel. Can you talk about the New Year's resolution you set that completely changed your life? Yes. Um, the the one tw- about lying. <laughs> oh, I knew which one you yeah, meant. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I had, so I'd grown up, just a little context, I grew up in the most Mormon city of the most Mormon state of the most Mormon. I grew up very, very Mormon. When I was 17, I left to go to Harvard, which is about as far from Mormonism as you can get culturally. And I just wanted everyone to like me. So I just pretended to believe whatever anyone believed. I was 17, you know, I was an idiot. So then, um, fast forward 12 years, my whole life has fallen apart. I'm having a really rough time because my belief systems are all jumbled and I'm suffering from a lack of integrity. And I thought, you know what? They say the truth sets you free. I'm not going to tell a single lie for the next calendar year. And I didn't. How old were you, sorry, when you said 29. 29, okay. So from 29 to 30, I didn't tell a single lie that I knew of. And what did that look like? Can you give an example of a situation that you could have got away with lying, perhaps? Oh, yeah. Like I had someone say, I miss you, because I stopped communicating with them because I didn't like them. And (laughs) they called and said, I really miss you. And I said, I miss the concept of having you as a friend. It was a nightmare so plus. That, it was so, horrifying. Wow. So that was you completely two feet in integrity. Oh, and it was, okay, so during that year, don't do this. Folks, do not do this. <laughs> it is like, unless you want to just jump off a cliff right into a volcano, it's don't do it. It's an absolute crash course of it. So my religion went first and my family of origin went with that. Uh, realized I was gay. Oops. So there goes my whole marriage. Gorgeous. Um, left my profession. I was a professor, didn't like academia, left my entire industry, left my home because I like, I left everything except maybe my children. And um, the interesting thing was that I went into that year very miserable and very physically ill, like really, really racked by physiological pain. And during that year of losses, I started to get better. Like Mm. as I lost everything I thought my life depended upon, I became happier and healthier than I'd ever been. But don't do it that fast, folks. Do it gradually. Okay, so you're talking about integrity here. Could you give yeah. Martha Beck's definition of integrity when you talk about these this thing of not lying and, and standing in your values and stuff? What is integrity? 
Yeah, it's not anything you can learn from anyone else. Integrity just, it, the, the actual word means intact, so whole and undivided, where duplicity is two things, divided, right? So integrity, it works like a, an airplane, where an airplane has four million parts, and they all have to be in structural integrity or it won't work. It's okay. that simple. It doesn't mean it's a bad airplane. It just means it's not working because it's out of alignment. And when we separate ourselves from ourselves, when we're sitting there saying, I'm perfectly comfortable in a situation where we, at another level, know we're not comfortable, we're split and we're out of structural integrity and our lives won't fly. Everything that you're describing, I kind of feel like I've been there probably over the last year and in really yes yeah just just out of alignment and frustrated and coming up against a lot of things like but I should be feeling this way because of x y and z reasons this is happening in my life this is happening and there have been a lot of times and I've, I've recently actually come to a lot of realizations about the things that bring me joy there's often this temptation in the busyness of life to just keep going on the conveyor belt of where it's heading and to yes. not halt that conveyor belt that you're going on and stop and pause and I think that that can come Mm. In, in busyness. Absolutely. And in, in The Way of Integrity, my book on this, I talk about how the, the place we get split is our nature splits away from our culture. So our nature is to be completely what we are, completely individual, knowing what we know, knowing what we love. And then the culture says, no, 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 no. You be this way, you be that way. You know, and it's different for every single person because your family has a culture, your ethnicity has a culture, your nationality has a so culture. cultures you upon cultures. You don't just mean culture as in society. You mean families and the people we surround ourselves with and, and the impact that that has on the way we right. live our lives. Yeah, I was trained as a sociologist. So to me, um, Terence McKenna once said, uh, whenever you get two people in a room, culture is the third guest at the table. Okay. There's, any two people will create a culture. Now we can create, like I hope you and I are creating a culture of openness and honesty mm. and um, vulnerability. But there is a culture. We can't avoid it. Yes. Well, and, and you're right, it's a conveyor belt. And it's li that is literal floss. We are living in a culture that was made to maximize the production of material wealth for a few people at the top of a pyramid. And everything has to work like a machine, mm. just productivity, productivity. And so, you know, when, when they first, I don't know if you know this, but during the Industrial Revolution, when people first left their homes en masse to work in factories, they needed people to wake up to all be at the same conveyor belt at the same time. So they started having factory whistles that would wake up entire towns at five in the morning, including the people who couldn't get their circadian rhythm to do that. Wow. Right? So we are literally driven on the conveyor belt of society and we don't even know it until yeah. someone like you says, stop and think about this for a yeah, minute. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm even I'm even having, having it myself. And I think that a society that doesn't have time to pause, doesn't yeah. have time to think about whether it's happy because it's just working, as you said, exactly. for the percentage at the top. And I think it's, it's taking a pause to understand and know that part of the reason you're stressed or burnt out or feeling this frustration and feeling out of integrity, you were designed to not even have time to yeah. think or evaluate and consider that. Yeah. Which I think the pandemic gave a lot of people that massive pause. <laughs> yes, it really did. And we're seeing all kinds of really positive things come out despite all the horrors. The racial reckoning here in the US, I hope it never stops or slows down. But uh, you know, the people, people of color who are forced to the bottom of the hierarchy have less time than anyone else because they're underemployed, they have to work harder for less money. So until something really said, wait, stop, yes. 
rest. They didn't have time or resources to raise a hand and say, excuse me, what the way you treat me is unnatural. And mm-hmm. I am so glad we had that pause, but I hope we take it over and over and over again. And the society is designed not by any particular diabolical person, but just by the nature of history to to force us to this robot-like existence. I mean, even the way kids are put in schools, same size children at the same size desks, doing problems that are created by the teacher for no particular reason, except, you know, that is designed to create factory labor. Wow. And I wish I'd thought of that when my older kids were little. I don't think I would have sent them there. Yeah, because I think it, I think it's when you take it back to the idea that every single fucking institution that has been created was created by a person. This is not some kind of natural order. It was created for human beings of a certain caliber, body shape, gender, race. And so I think it's 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 no wonder so many people are feeling out of integrity when the culture that we're in doesn't support us because it wasn't meant to support. It probably doesn't even support the people who do fit that uh, oh. ratio, you know, because everyone has completely yeah. different beliefs. I've actually, I've heard you talk a lot about creating your own culture. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So once I did my, I'm not going to tell a single lie for a year. Uh, I realized that as long as I continue to speak honestly, the only people who would stick around me were those who either agreed with me or were pretending to agree with me. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Successfully deceiving me. And there were a few of those, I have to say. But mainly, if I kept living in my integrity, that would come to light. Mm. And the, the image I use in the book is of a, a mathematical fractal. Nature is designed in fractals. So a, twi- a twig looks like a branch looks like a tree at different sizes, right? Yeah. Um, a mountain looks like a stone, looks like an, even a tiny pebble on that mountain is the same shape. So when you create pure integrity within you, so you're just in alignment with your true nature as much as you can be, you, you, it's not that you attract, it's that you begin to flow along with people who are also in their integrity. Mm. And the interesting thing about it is they may look very different from you. They may, I, I saw this when I was still doing sociological work that women specifically I was studying who came to this, I will follow my nature independent of culture, they'd become friends even if they were completely different ages, socioeconomic categories, racial, ethnic categories. Mm. They were united in their commitment to their own individual pursuit of integrity. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it, been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. I think we're often probably too afraid of the destruction caused by 
doing the authentic things and not trusting that we will withstand that blow. And I've also heard you say that the life of our dreams, the stuff of dreams, everything we want is at the other side of integrity. But it's just the fear that stops us, right? Always. I've been coaching people for 30 years and it took a long time. And as I said, I'm a sociologist. But one thing Hmm. I can say is that when people are out of alignment with themselves, it is 100% of the time because of fear. And they may have personal fears from trauma or whatever, but most of the fears are from socialization. I won't be accepted, Mm. loved, admired, and all that. There's also one thing that I've found puts people in a place of integrity. One thing you can say that aligns people. And I've tried this with beggars on the streets of Africa. I've tried it with homeless heroin users in Phoenix. I've tried it with billionaires. I've tried it with all these people, right? And that thing is the statement, I am meant to live in peace. So if anybody's listening out there, just in your head, silently repeat that a few times. I am meant to live in peace. I am meant to live in peace. And whatever that warmer sensation for you is, Mm -hmm. it starts to... What are you feeling, Floss, as we're talking, as I say that? I immediately thought of how those words, if I had heard someone like you say them to me in my first abusive relationship, how it would have made crystal clear to me that peace was not happening there. I think that's yeah. that's such a grounding thing to say. Even, even, even when taking on projects uh, that can be challenging, oh, yeah. you can outweigh it if it's what you love. And if, if, if something isn't working, but you can, I, th- I feel like there's almost like a cost benefit analysis in your head. There is, yeah. But just, yeah, I, I can see how that works. So we're bossed around by fear, even though in our hearts and almost physically, we know that we're meant to live in peace. So that's always the question we're given. Like, here are two choices. Here are two options that lie before me. Which one gives me peace in that fear tells me to hide from it? So I'm going to stand up for myself as a female or whatever. Um, Okay, I'm too scared to do that. So I'm going to hide, go in a little hidey hole and feel mm. safe from that. But it's not peace, actually. It's a, it's a state of fear. Yes. If, on the other hand, you say, I am going to stand up for myself and I may take hits from this. And at, at a couple of points in my life, I've taken stands where I thought I might actually be killed for voicing what I had to voice. Mm. And uh, I had threats. And still, inwardly, it's like the year I didn't lie. Everything was exploding around me and I was coming into peace for the very first time. Yeah. So there's a <laughs> wow. there's a kind of fear that drives you and there's a kind of fear that's a natural byproduct of living in peace. And I know that sounds paradoxical, but I think you get what I mean. I get entirely what you mean. I had this thing where when my public profile was rising three years ago, it, it kind of goes in these, in these loops and it's like an intense exposure and then back into hiding yeah. again. I actually had yeah. a chat with my dad and um, he has the best advice ever and he can really tough talk me because he's not going anywhere you know I feel like it's it's, with Mm -hmm. your family it's like they can say it because they know you and Mm. he I went to him and I was like dad I don't want to leave my apartment people stop me on the street a lot I feel watched and it's not just in my head I see people get their phones out it's it's an actual thing it's not this paranoia I don't want you to think I'm just some silly person who's paranoid and he was like okay and I was basically adapting my behavior I wasn't going out I wasn't socializing a lot and he said to me he was like okay it's it's a bit like your fear thing about the the actually being protected and living in integrity I was I wanted to go out and and be in the sun and be with my friends but there was this fear stopping me this fear of being seen and he said 
um, he was like, okay, so you can go, you can protect yourself, you can wear dark clothes, you can hide yourself, mm. you can completely mute and damp yourself. Uh, you will be protected from the outside stuff, but at what yeah. cost? At right. what cost? This is your happiness. This is your joy. This is your life. Um, you, you might be physically protected because you're going to be sheltering yourself and staying in that yeah. dark hole, but then there's that. Or you can go out. What is the actual worst thing that is going to happen? Do you think, you know, trust yourself to handle the situation when it arises and live in your joy. And I feel like for me, it, it really showed me that there was a cost either way. So there was either a cost, way. there was a cost of staying in and shielding myself from the world. And then right. there was a cost of going out. And then what actually happened when I went out was I was in the flow state that you're describing. I was in my integrity. I was attracting yeah. the most wonderful fans of my yeah. work who it was almost like this this cinematic movie moment where I went <laughs> on a bike ride and five girls stopped me to say, I love your work, keep going, it changed Aww. my life. And then I saw my book in a bookstore and the, 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 the store person told me, and, I, and it was like, Oh, this is what I'm meant to be. I'm meant to be living in joy, yeah. and I'm gonna trust that it's gonna fucking work out. So when you talk about that, that fear between yeah. you and the life that you want, and being in integrity, and all the the protecting yourself and shielding yourself away in that bubble, it doesn't actually keep you safe. No. It's it's fucked because you're living in fear. Exactly. Fear of other people and what they may think. You know, if you're afraid to go out in, in the street, fine. Fear is meant to have that protective function. But if you're afraid of other people, in the Tao Te Ching, my favorite Chinese book, it says, care about other people's opinions and you become their prisoner. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, we all want to be loved. Um, we try to be loved by maybe posing in different ways, performing different social roles, or hiding completely so nobody can hate us. But the problem with, with that is it's the piece of the prisoner, right? We're locked away in a cell. Freedom, speaking of Asians, the Buddha liked to say, uh, wherever you find the sea, no matter what it looks like, you can tell it's the sea because it tastes of salt. And wherever you find enlightenment, you can know it because however it looks, it tastes of freedom. So freedom is a deeper piece than self-protection. And I'm not criticizing people who self-protect because you have to get ready for that. Like one of the things that I heard from one of my black friends here in America was, I wrote this book, The Way of Integrity, Always Tell the Truth, whatever. And she said, that's privilege. And I was like, what? Everyone can tell the truth. And she said, that's privilege. And I was like, oh my God, she's right. Mm. I could never... I could, like, somebody who's in that uh, discriminatory a position, somebody who's been that oppressed, is often penalized just horrifically mm. for speaking the truth. So at the end of my year of not lying, I decided that if I were in Nazi Germany and I had a family of Jews in the basement and the Gestapo asked me if I had hid some, hidden some Jews, I would say no, and I would lie that to that extent and feel fine because the system is insane. Yes. Okay. So don't lie. Don't expose yourself unduly to an insane system. Yes. There is an integrity even deeper, which is finding your way out of the insane system and taking as many people with you as you can. So it's it's the system that's out of integrity. Completely, yeah. So, so if the system is out of integrity, then it's almost like for, for that kind of protection. I even think about it when it comes to men. I lie to men constantly hmm. for yeah. my safety. There is a level, I feel, of hypervigilance that is kind of built in in women. And like you said, with, with black people as well. But you're yeah. saying that's in line with uh Yeah, you can feel that. 
I have a friend who specializes in violence prediction and he protects celebrities and keeps them safe from threats and things. Is he, is and, he has he written a book? Yes, it's called The Gift of oh Fear. Oh my God, it's my favorite book ever. <laughs> I love that book oh so much. Oh my God, Gavin De Becker. Oh, and he is, oh. so, I, I love this man. And one of the things yes. he says is, first of all, say you're in a, an office building late at night you're on a top floor, the elevator door opens, the lift door opens, and there's one person inside and you feel afraid. Now, no animal in nature would lock itself in a soundproof metal vault with another animal that frightened it, except a human. Mm. We do that. So we always have these spider senses saying, no, no, it's not safe. Don't do it. Mm. But And he also says, I don't know if you remember this part. I think this is in one of his other books. He says, teach your children, teaching your children about how to be safe. If you feel nervous, he said, I know this is going to make me very unpopular. It is socially taboo, but it is statistically accurate. Tell them to find a woman. Mm. Because the vast, vast majority of violence and, and various heinous practices toward people is perpetrated by men. And I don't mean to hate men at all. It's statistical. It's, and I love that he talks about it also. And yeah. I think I think it's very it's very um true to his character also because he talks about his past in his book, even with his mother, he still talks yeah. about how it's predominantly men. Even though his yeah. his past experience has been with women as well. Um and, 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 and he, his his mother shot his father. He to watched, death, yeah, he, yeah, he watched it all happen. Um, yeah. And he still knows, yes. And over 90% of all violence is still happened by men. And I, I think yeah. he's incredible. The Gift of Fear is an amazing book. Thank you for mentioning it. How do we how do we know when we're out of integrity in our in our bodies in our life? Like what kind of let's talk about the symptoms because people might be listening yeah. to this and go, that's not me. I'm fine. Just like the light, like yeah. almost like the the dissonance that we're talking about. <laughs> there were six different qualities when I looked at all the thousands of people that I've worked with. It came out that the the top reason people were seeking help was that they sent they felt a sense of purposelessness. And I believe each of our lives has a purpose. And I've worked with people in prison who said, one man recently, uh, I read a letter. He said, this place can be heaven too. If I'm in my integrity. Wow. That was wow. mind blowing. The next thing was your mood starts to go. So you, the sense of purposelessness, then you're either angry, sad, or scared all the time. Mm. It's not comfortable. Then third thing, your physical health starts to fail. Just telling a few less lies per week, it's been shown um, in studies, just trying not to lie so much for about three <laughs> weeks reduces people's doctor visits, oh physical illnesses. God. And these people aren't even being watched to make sure they're not lying. So the body goes out after mm. the mood goes, and then your relationships start to suffer. Then your career starts to suffer. And then for some people, maybe not all, some sort of addiction arises in order to medicate the pain mm. of not knowing who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. So those were the six symptoms. Okay. So what is the relationship between joy and integrity? They're inextricable. They are inextricable. Oh my God, when you actually get... So that my first year of not lying, I called it my integrity cleanse. <laughs> not that I was cleansing away integrity, I was cleansing everything else. Well, I did that periodically after that. And my most recent integrity cleanse started about seven years ago. Okay. And um, 
I haven't been perfect, but I've been pretty darn close most days, I'll tell you. And the more I adhere to my integrity, the more joy I experience. And it's like you said, the things around me that seem like fractal forms of my own joy and integrity, the, the people I encounter, like here I am talking to you, the books I discover, the animals that react to me when I'm on a walk in the forest. (laughs) Everything seems to just adopt that same pattern of joy and truth. And it's, it's miraculous. It actually starts to look like a miracle. Is that anything to do with the perspective that we have when we're living in integrity? Does it, do we then start to feel in turn more confident and more trusting about ourselves? And so yes. even the way we carry our bodies and then yeah. how people respond to that, it's just this, it must just be this massive domino effect of, of yeah. joy and confidence. It's huge. And you get a taste of it. And oh my God, it's like the most delicious thing you ever tasted. Yeah. And then you hit, you hit a social barrier. Okay. And then you're like, oh, I'm afraid again. So in in the book, The Way of Integrity, I originally wrote down because I'm like, I'm not going to write a book about integrity and lie about my personal life. Oh, my God. So I wrote down, (laughs) yeah, um, I have been in love with two women in my life, and I'm currently living with both of them. Like, And that's been going on. Um, That actually, that spurred my most recent integrity cleanse. It was about seven years ago. And I thought, (laughs) I got to be really strong now. Yes. And uh, Okay, so would would that be the social barrier you're talking about? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is when I was living out in the woods, you know, and Mm. I was there with my partner. And then this writer from Australia came to stay with someone nearby. And then the three of us just loved each other. We did not want to go on without None of us wanted to live without the other two. Mm. I was just like, what is happening to me? <sighs> so I went off to Harvard. I chose to have a child who was diagnosed very late in pregnancy with Down syndrome. So that was like, I was sort of tossed out of that um, culture. The doctors at the Harvard Health Clinic told me it was like having a malignant tumor and not letting me them take it out. But oh, wow. I was, and I've helped other women get abortions in the same situation. Yeah. I am totally pro-choice. But this was almost six months in, into pregnancy, and I was confronted with the question: not what do I do? I want to have a child, but what kind of child's life is worth living? Well, how do we decide whose life is worth living? Yeah. And what I decided was that it's about the experience of joy, communion, and love. And so I couldn't really justify it to myself at that point. I wanted to keep him, bottom line. Mm. Went back to Mormon, Utah, Hmm. because I thought, well, at least there they'll accept my choice, which they did. But then I figured out I was a lesbian. So then I left Mormonism, Hmm. literally fled for the border. Um, And then later on in California, I end up uh, living with two women. So this is my life. I went to Harvard to have a baby with a cognitive disability. Then I went to Provo, Utah to become a lesbian. (laughs) Then I left the Mormon church and started practicing polygamy. (laughs) It's just like, ah! Ah! I am destined to be not normal at all. Yes, yes. I love that so much. We're going to now move into listener questions. So these are the ah. questions that my audience have asked about joy and integrity. Mm-hmm. If you could give me a hand answering them, that would be great. I'd love that. 
Okay. I quit my job to pursue a new opportunity and my boss berated me for being disloyal and having no respect. Do you have any advice on getting over people pleasing and having the courage to quit a job when the team don't want you to leave? Okay. I I just talked about my decision to keep my son and I remember reading a book um, that said, be prepared to live a life of shame and be ashamed of your child. And interacting with the doctors, I disagreed with them. They disagreed with me. They were putting a lot of social pressure. I know it's not Mm. a totally similar situation, but social pressure is social pressure. And um, I came up with a response, a five-word response. And I just repeat this when people (laughs) come at me, and I would love you to rehearse it and say it in the kindest, most compassionate, gentle voice you've got. You just repeat like a broken record. I respectfully do not care. (laughs) (laughs) Respectfully do not care. I love it. I love it. I'm getting it tattooed tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe I'll get one too. (laughs) No, I love that. I I feel like that's the mantra I also definitely need to hear right now. Thank you so much. Okay, on to the next question. I'm nearly 26 and I still don't know what I want to do as a career. I feel like I'm so behind everyone else. Do you have any advice in figuring this out? You're absolutely not behind because the only linear progression of a career is based in Western patriarchal culture, which is not going to make anybody happy. Trust me, I've studied it. (laughs) I am way older than you are. I've spent a lot of time. And what have you found? What have you found? Oh, it never makes anybody happy. Mm. It never makes anybody happy. The people at the top are miserable. Yes. Oh, God. You know, a certain ex-president of the U.S. Do you think he's a happy man? Mm. He's about as representative of the the top of that pyramid as you can be. And I do not think that's a happy person. Mm. So um, you're only behind in this weird fiction that we've created culturally. The only place you are ever really situated is where you are Mm. in yourself. So get very, very quiet. Lock everyone else out for a little while and see what you love. And then instead of saying, I've got to go out and get a job, which will necessarily really cram you into a cultural pattern. And if you love it, great. But if you don't love it, like I don't love it, and I was never physically able to do a job. I had all kinds of physical problems. Create an ecosystem and live off the land in a, in a kind of socio-cultural way. So for example, you're, you're doing a podcast right now, Floss. You write books. You and I both know that Best-selling books are great, but you can't live off them indefinitely. Yes, yeah. But you love to speak out. You get opportunities to speak. Like I turned into a coach because people just asked me to. I ended up making most of my living that way. Mm-hmm. So you, once you are true to your nature and you start creating, and the book I'm writing now is about creativity, you start creating things that bring you joy, whether they're events or relationships or physical objects, they will be of value and the world will pay you for them. And here's the punchline, that whole socioeconomic system that everybody's grappling with, it's breaking. It's broken. It's falling apart. It doesn't support anyone anymore. Mm -hmm. So going within and finding out what you love and then expressing your nature genuinely is the best way I know to make a living. Mm -hmm. I completely relate and resonate with everything Mm. you've just said, particularly about um, when you just do what you love. For me, it's always it's always been driven by 
uh, purpose and joy. And then the stuff, all the the opportunities just follow. You meet the yeah. people suddenly that come into your life. And it's only when you follow that joy and that purpose yeah. that the things come. And when you don't have that joy and that purpose, I, I interviewed someone recently who was just uh, saying that sometimes it's just following the things that bring you joy mm-hmm. and just doing it, whether it's cooking or writing or drawing. And then if you want to, sharing it with someone and, and just kind of following those sorts of things. It doesn't have to be this burning passion. We want passion all the time from people and we see these people yeah. who do these massive big things. But I love what um, Elizabeth Gilbert says. She wrote this huge bestseller, Eat, Pray, Love, probably before you were born now, but it was oh, of this course, massive. Of course I know it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, she talks about, she's a close friend and um, she talks about when she was getting ready to write the book proposal for that. And she was so depressed and so miserable. And she said, I did not have passion. I did not have a blazing yellow brick road in front of me. She said, I had this one tiny thread of curiosity about the Italian language. And she said, I looked wow. at my entire life and everything was bleakness and despair, except for this little gold thread of it might be nice to study Italian. And everything that she then lived and everything that made that book so popular came out of her being true to that. So if you're scared and you want to know how to make a living and you don't have passion, become curious. And that curiosity, even if it's just tiny, is a little thread that you can follow and it'll open up into something um, often really miraculous and wonderful. I love that so much. Uh, One last question, Martha. Someone's asked, what to do if you don't actually know what your integrity is or what your values are? How do you find them and connect with that intuition if you don't know what it is in the first place? You have an incredibly valuable, um, absolutely unflagging ally, and it's called suffering. If you sit down in your room by yourself Get comfortable, really comfortable, and then go through your whole life, your emotional life, your social life, your career life, and say, where am I not comfortable? Where does something hurt? Where do I feel unfulfilled longing or resentment or um, despair? Like there will be tiny places for some and huge places for others, but everywhere you leave your integrity, the experience of that separation from self is suffering. And that's why suffering is our greatest ally. If it were anything less drastic, it would not get our attention. It would never be strong enough to outweigh our socialization, right? We'd just be pawns in the hands of the system, no matter what. Soon as you find suffering, then you know there's something in you that is disagreeing with the truth you feel at a very deep level. Wow, yeah. And as you zero in and find that, and that's where Floss's work is really helpful. It rings true. It rings true. And you come to your truth and then you go, hmm, if I am to live this truth, I will have to defy my culture. And then you move forward. Never hurry. Never cease. Just keep heading down the road of integrity. And as Floss was saying, you create a new culture that is based on truth. Oh my goodness me. When I say that episode was dangerously inspiring, I fucking mean it. Honestly, she's just such a breath of fresh air. I hope that some of this episode resonated with you as well. If you liked what Martha had to say today, you can buy her book, The Way of Integrity, or follow her on Instagram at the Martha Beck. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks again to Martha for being a fucking incredible podcast guest. If you've enjoyed listening, then please do share it with your friends. To keep updated with all of the latest episodes as they drop, you can follow exactly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
And a massive thank you to the incredible Black Honey who composed the original theme music for the show. They're fucking amazing. You can find them on Instagram at at BlackHoneyUK and you can check out their latest album written and directed. This is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production. My producer is Millie Charles, assistant producer is Ella McLeod, executive producer is Carly Mayo, the production coordinator is Lily Hambly, and I want to give a special thanks to Chris Skinner, Jonathan Imiri, Ryan O'Meara, and Teddy Riley for additional production, and a big thanks to our engineers, Josh Gibbs and Gully Lawrence Tickle, and mix engineer, Jay Beale.